Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. This week, we've put together a very special episode with some of our favorite clips from 2019. These are inspiring moments about overcoming challenges and obstacles and how to grow from them. I hope you enjoy. This is from episode 293 with Kathleen Sarpy, founder of Chicago PR powerhouse agency H5. I think life is a journey that we clearly all are on. And um, I think we set goals for ourselves that sometimes um, we, we picture this path of success that may necessarily not fit exactly the mold of what we, I guess, pictured it at the start, right? And so I was at a wonderful big PR firm in Chicago, um, was a new mother. Um, and I recognized back about, I guess, 20 years ago or so, because my daughter Emily is 19, that um, as I was a pregnant woman um, in the world of public relation, um, I was realizing my personal values were starting to become a comp my job. Um, so uh, once I gave birth to Emily, um, I realized pretty quickly that this whole working mother thing for me at that place wasn't really jiving with what my personal values were, which were to be a good mother to Emily first. And so um, I started my agency really simply that pivot point was I wanted to focus first on being an amazing mom to Emily. I never wanted to regret my time as a mother with her. Um, and at the same time, I did love what I do, did for a living. So being a good PR person was, was certainly important to me. But I, I, I flip-flopped, I think, my, my goals, which were first, you know, as Phi Beta graduate of Purdue, I was out go-getter trying to get an awesome job right out of school. But when I became a mother, my path changed. And I, I went down a different fork in the road to be a good mother first. And I've been very fortunate that I've continued to do PR too. I think that's a tremendous way to describe one of the most successful executives and entrepreneurs in the country, mom first, yeah, PR person second. Which most important job I've ever had is being a mom to now my amazing six kids, yeah. Well, there's no way that it's not going to be important. And uh, that's delightful mm -hmm. to hear you say that. Uh, I also know along the way, you've hit some enormous roadblocks. Yeah. It's easy to look at somebody who's as successful and influential as you are and feel like they just had a smooth path and everything just moved up and moved up. Would you mind for all of our sake, just share some of those those totally unexpected, ridiculous things you've had to go through and some of well, the lessons. Yeah. Um, so back to the life journey, um, you know, you, you expect when you get married for it to be forever, at least for me, I did. Um, and, you know, for quite a while, I went through, you know, the growth of my business while growing my family. I had five children biologically um, with my kid's uh, father. And then learned that he wasn't the person I thought he was um, and went through a pretty devastating and unexpected course. Um, certainly something I did not want, um, but had to do at the time. Um, it was really hard on my children. It was certainly very, very hard on my whole family. And it was hard even on my business because I had to be pulled out to take care of, you know, ensuring my, my kids were okay, right? Um, that was the beginning of a three-year journey I've been going through, actually, where um, a lot of things happened to me that were unexpected. Um, once my divorce was final, um, my you know my parents played a huge role in my uh, life, especially helping support me through in a very rocky emotional time. 
Um, so after my divorce was final, uh, my dad died probably three months later. And my dad was in court with me every single day holding my hand. So I lost my best friend in you know a moment. It was an unexpected passing. And so that left me reeling, obviously, and, and very sad, and my children very sad. Um, but, you know, again, life throws you curveballs, right? I feel like there's a constant, um, you know, just a moment I think I've recognized that change is the one thing that's constant in life, which sounds like an oxymoron, but change is constant. I used to think life was a smooth sail that you were on and a couple bumps would be hit along the way. And now I've recognized there's a lot of, of the hardship that comes along your journey, and it's how you anchor yourself that really matters. So. You know, after my father passed away, my mom died 14 weeks to the day later. Um, they'd been married 64 years together, 67 years, and a wonderful example of love and kindness to me. So that was obviously another devastating blow to me and my children after going through the loss of my, my marriage and then, um, you know, the challenge of, of going through, you know, uh, a, a divorce, you know, um, process and then going through the loss of my father and then the loss of my mother. Um, so I noticed there was quite a, a series of events that kept happening to me. And I think a lot of people could say I had every right to curl up in a corner and suck my thumb and stay away from the world. But what I was taught in that three-year period was a, a really strong a sense of resilience, um, of having to get back up, I'm sure. And I've, I've listened and watched your, your, um, your podcast to hear a lot of other leaders talk about this, but the, the resilience is something that I think a leader needs. And um, I didn't realize how badly I was being taught through a lot of different series of events that I needed to keep getting back up and dusting myself off. And I was setting an example, not only for my children, but for people that were watching me at, at my job and my clients and other friends and, and family that had witnessed all the sort of the bad things that were happening. And from that, I think, experience of going through all that loss, I actually feel like I'm a way better person having gone through it. Like I wouldn't change a thing, strangely, despite the fact that it was really many times so devastating that I was hardly able to think I could get through it. I learned I was pretty strong and I learned that my children were pretty strong. And I also were, through that experience, able to trust others to lead in even my business, which gave me an opportunity to um, sort of get to a higher elevation or level here at work, which I think was a gift that came out of that that time. I think a lot of people when they're going through something really hard are really, um, you know, they're distracted by the, by the storm. But it is true. It, you know, it rained here today, uh, this morning here in Chicago, and it's sunny right behind me right now. So that's a perfect analogy for life's challenges. I think you often are going to hit storms in your life, but there's a reason for the rain even, you know, it's to actually create a, an opportunity for growth. This is from episode 276 with Gloria Mayfield Banks, motivational speaker, success strategist, and number one elite national sales director for Mary Kay Cosmetics. Back up just a minute. Dyslexic. Uh, yes. Nobody, nobody would necessarily believe that an author, a business leader, record breaker, achiever, when did you first learn you were dyslexic and how did that make you feel? Well, this is such an interesting story because I found out I was in, when I was in the seventh grade that I was dyslexic. My mother and father were both educators. That, back in the day then, they did not have a, the same type of test they have today. So my mother was a mother, like many mothers, who would stay up really late. Everyone else is sleeping and she's like, come on, Gloria. You can get this. Come on. I can teach you how to read. I can teach you how to do arithmetic. 
the numbers were all messed up in my head. <clears throat> a teacher, my home ec teacher actually discovered it by the way that I did a book report. And she said, something does not connect because most dyslexic people are very, very smart. But the way they read, and for me, the way I would read and the way that I would write did not show the intelligence that would come out of my mouth or my logical thinking. So um, it was it was very challenging because I had to have extra work. I had to have extra hours. When I went to Harvard Business School, I had the most humbling experience because I did not tell them in the application I was dyslexic and I almost flunked out of my finance class, except I had a phenomenal teacher who, again, knew I was smart. I just couldn't, he just could not get the connection. You know, if you put one, two, three on the board, I see it as three, one, two. And he could not understand that connection. However, Dan, you know how we say all the things that have happened in our life that at that time seemed to be the most challenging, many times turns out to be the best gift. I, number one, am very transparent. Many women, when I speak, and I speak inside America, outside America, internationally, I speak a lot. And when I speak, many women come up to me with tears in their eyes, filled to the brim, because they will say, no one knows I'm dyslexic. I'm afraid to send an email at work. No one knows. I say, girl, every email I say, send, I say, this is a typo. And if there's a phone number attached, please don't use it until you get the next email from my assistant who has the correct <laughs> phone number because yeah. my phone number will be correct. So I've turned my situation into something that doesn't stop me, mm-hmm. that I can um, enjoy by being very transparent. Mm-hmm. And I can free other people by letting them know that that particular thing that you consider to be an issue doesn't have to be an issue unless you let it be. This is from episode 290 with Todd Duncan, author, speaker, and sales entrepreneur. We have um, this idea in our life that, you know, we have a track that we're going to run on and, and some call it life planning and, and some call it goal setting and some call it, uh, you know, vision casting, dream boarding. There's a host of things that happen with people in terms of, you know, recognizing that here's where they are and, and here's where they want to go. And I think the the biggest thing that I've learned about all of that in one fell swoop is that whatever you think the future is going to look like, it's going to be different. And so pivoting is an art. And I think that that far too often we're not ready for pivoting. So I tell people to to make sure that they kind of write their goals and write their dreams and, and write their visions in pencil and, and prepare to pivot because no matter how great your plans are and no matter how well thought out your career tracks are and those things that we kind of count on as certainty, life will throw us curveballs and life will interrupt and we have to be prepared um, to pivot accurately. So I you know, I think both professionally and, and personally, um, those pivot points are are, are points that allow us to either interpret a pivot as something um, negative, something positive, something I'm not sure yet, but I know that I have to do something, um, and a host of other emotions that go with it. Um, I, 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 I think that pivot points can change your future, and I think that people need to understand that um, if you don't pivot when things aren't right, things will continue to get worse and things that are ignored that are priorities become bigger priorities and you you get forced to pivot. Be more concerned 
with your direction in life than you are with your perfection in life. Because there is no such thing as a perfect life. The best lives ever lived are lives full of adjustment and full of pivot and full of responses and reactions and change. And you just can't, you just can't ever count on, on life just being, you know, it's not going to be simple. If my son, and I'll get a little personal here, but if my son has responded to the death of his mother by choosing alcohol and drugs to numb himself of that severe trauma, and I see it and I understand it, and even he comes to me and asks for help. I have to make some decisions around what is the best thing for my little boy. My little boy is growing up and my little boy is involved in alcohol and my little boy is involved in drugs and, and he's trying to heal a pain that he had nothing to do with. Mm. And I have to make a decision. What is the best thing for my son? And, and, I got to a point where I recognized through therapy and through the professional advice of some people that are, are specialists in this area that if I don't do the hard thing, my son might die. My son might die from the very thing that he didn't create, but that he used as a tool to help him handle the pain of losing his mother. And I remember that day at 4.15 in the afternoon when I had a couple of guys show up at my house and lovingly with me by his side and my mom and dad by his side and my wife by his side, escort him to a car and put him into a rehabilitation center to save his life as a 16-year-old, him pleading that he needed help. The hardest thing I've ever done was to send my son into rehabilitation. And at 7.30 that night, just three hours and 15 minutes later, I got a text on his phone from one of his friends and the text, I'll never forget it, Dan. The text said, we scored the heroin. It's on tonight. <laughs> and I look at that window and I look at my little teeny boy who's six foot six and, and, and probably could take me down with a couple punches. And I look at his heart being anesthetized by this trauma and the solution to the trauma. And I realized that I was three hours away from potentially having a, I wish I had, instead of having made the hard decision and now being able to say, I'm glad I did. And I can have a conversation with that 22 year old today. And I can say, I'm glad I did what I did. And he still struggles, but I'm glad I did what I did because I gave him the tools for life to save his life. I ultimately have to let him make the choices but I will never, ever, 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 ever regret having made that tough call. And I believe I saved his life. And that's so many of our life choices are not that level, right? They're not life and death. There are. But so many of our life choices give our life life or they rob us of, of life. And it can, be, it can be a host of things. And we just got to understand there's only two outcomes. I wish I had. Glad I did. This is from episode 299, the second part of the two part episode with Edie Allen, empowerment and transformational coach and brave storyteller. Would you maybe share with, with our listeners what you consider maybe the most powerful or a couple of the most powerful parts of your own healing process? The, the conclusions, the, the light bulbs that went off that 
help move you forward? Absolutely. One was I, I recognized that at some point, the child inside myself was neglected by me. And I was, I was playing out patterns in my life with relationships um, that were not <laughs> working out so well for me. I was, as I said, I was numbing my own pain there for a long time. There was a segment of time where I was just hiding and numbing and, and playing it small. And um, one day I came across a book that was called The Inner Child Dialogues. And the premise of the book was to connect with your inner child so that your inner child could kind of give you this information about yourself. So the first day, the suggestion is to wake up early in the morning and write to your inner child, good morning, inner child, how are you feeling today? And whatever your inner child says, your response is, thank you for telling me that. Mm-hmm. No matter what they say, thank you for telling me that. And build, and it's to build trust with your inner child. So I was excited. And the first day I woke up. And now, mind you, at this time, I am desperate. I'm homeless. <laughs> I'm living in California. Uh, I drove out there for a job that disappeared on my way out there. Mm. And so I had no home to live in when I got there because that fell apart. I had just had a miscarriage with someone that I thought I was in love with and going to spend my life with. That person had just exited my life without a conversation about it. I had just put my dog down. I was like a walking, talking country Western song. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I was desperate and I'm in California and, uh, you know, had these dreams of being an actress and I'm like here and I'm California and I, have I'm I'm house sitting for this girl and babysitting her dog as a way of having a place to live and a little bit of money so that I can eat. And I find this book, The Inner Child Dialogue. I'm like, this is gonna be great. It's gonna be the answer to all my problems. And so <laughs> the first day I wake up and good morning, inner child. How are you feeling today? Nothing. No response. No response. Day two. And, and I just wrote, thank you, for tell, thank you for telling me that. The second day, same thing. And I started realizing that I had made myself invisible as a child. I used to practice being invisible and I got good at it. And how in the world am I going to make my dreams come true if I'm invisible? And, and how am I going to help this child heal if she's invisible? So the third day she showed up and she looked like she'd been raised by wolves. She was dirty. Her clothes were ill-fitting. She was barefoot. She was scared and shaking. And I just burst into tears because I, I, I came, I, I met her. You met you. I met me, my, my spirit, my little child spirit, my little wounded one, my scared one. And I just said, oh, thank you for telling me that. And I just held her and held me and, and let myself experience that connection of that little child. And then I started that dialogue and just would ask her questions. And no matter what she told me, I would say, thank you for telling me that. I began to build a trust with my, myself. And I started 
growing and maturing in different parts of myself. Like my 14 year old showed up and taught me something magical and incredible. And my, my 23 year old showed up and taught me, told me something about myself and all these different facets of myself that I had been neglecting and, 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 or just so busy trying to make it just so busy trying to be successful or be something or be uh, meaningful or, or just, or be anything besides what I, what I had been that I didn't, that I didn't like. So about two years ago, I, I gave up drinking. I gave up numbing. And between the inner child work that I do and that I continue to do, and that I sought other programs to help me heal my inner child and my, my, teenager that's quite rebellious. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I continued doing that kind of work. And then coupled with my sobriety, that's also how I came to connect with Stephen is through recovery and working a very strong, beautiful recovery program. It has just helped me heal and helped me be whole. And from that, I, I've started working on a program. It's called the four pieces of hope that make us whole. And the H of hope stands to me for honoring ourselves, honoring ourselves, no matter what, even when others are not honoring us, if we can honor ourselves, and that's through self-care and self-love and self-compassion, then we can have the capacity to honor others and do those things for them. O stands for being open hearted, being willing to forgive others who've harmed us not justifying it, not letting it be okay, but honestly giving them love. I think forgiving is an act of giving, for giving love and the space to heal. Mm-hmm. That's how I see forgiving. And also being open-hearted and open-minded. I think that O piece is very powerful. P stands for persevering, getting back up on that horse, being being courageous. I think courageous has two parts. People have often told me, you know, that I was courageous and, and that's, that is a feeling for sure uh, that I can tap into when I look at some of the things that I've done, but it's when I've been bold, bold to me is the action of courage. And when we're ready to take courageous action and we allow ourselves to be bold so that we can make a difference in the world. That I think is very powerful. And then E stands for evolving. It's so important for us to grow and we can get stagnant and we can get mediocre and we can get lazy and we can get, we can get scared and we can, we can uh, allow ourselves to kind of stay stopped and we can, wallow there and it will never feel good. And so for me, the day that I decided that I wanted to feel everything I could feel, the good and the bad, that meant if I can feel, then I can deal. And if I can deal, I can heal. This is from episode 291 with Roger Nirenberg, orchestral conductor, leadership consultant, and founder of The Music Paradigm. Think about moments when you felt whole, 
where you felt really good, where you felt enthusiastic, where you felt inspired. Some people have difficulty locating those moments. Then go back further. Go back further into your childhood. Go back to some point when you felt ecstatic, when you felt free, when you felt powerful, when you felt you just really felt good. And stay there a little while in that memory. And then, you know, think about well, what, what characterized that kind of feeling. Uh, and then, is there any shred of that that you see anywhere in the world or that you experience in your life? Go there. Trust your inspiration. Your inspiration is a, it's a kind of an indicator. It's an indicator of what you should be doing. Spend time and, and, and effort on that. It will be a long journey to where you fill your life with that feeling. And it requires a lot of patience and a lot of confidence. But, but I think the inspiration is, is a good starting point. And then, of course, you want to fill your life with the right people. You want to see who the people are who are bringing you down. And just spend as little time with them as you can. You may not be able to eliminate them, but don't spend your time with them. Find the people who bring you up. Find the people who, who, uh, who are that kind of influence. And there are those people that are actually in your life. And then there are the people that you can meet by reading them. Or, you know, there's so much on, on YouTube. There's so many great things on YouTube. People, you know, giving talks and there's just there's such an education you never have to leave your your desk in order to explore the world it's it's a really an amazing time that we live in and uh, i'm constantly amazed by it if you didn't hear the full episode from any of these guests please make sure to go back and listen to them all the way through as they were all such wonderful insightful guests on the show in 2019. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We look forward to everything that 2020 brings. Happy New Year from the Action Catalyst. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.